Bob Ezrin, what are you up to right now? I'm, I've got my head down. I'm mixing Alice Cooper, as a matter of fact. 47 years later, we're still doing it. It's under the heading of Some Guys Never Learn. We're still working well, let's uh, you know what? Let's open up with that right now because right. I I know that your 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 story of uh, your your first encounter with with Alice Cooper, if if I remember correctly, was at uh, Max's Kansas City in New York. Can you Correct. can you like share like in a nutshell like that experience? Your, your the first time you saw him on stage and and sort of what preceded that with from uh, from your mentors who sort of told you to go and see him. So I was working for Jack Richardson at Nimbus Nine and. Uh, they were particularly interested in a girl singer in New York City who was at the show called Hair. She was the female lead. So they, they asked me to go to New York and see her and listen to her music. At the same time, Jack had been literally like dunned by the Alice Cooper group and their manager, Shep Gordon. They just wouldn't let Jack alone. They wanted Jack to produce this band. And, um, and if you looked at their first two album covers, you could see that they were in dresses and makeup and they had braided mutton shots. It was like they were the weirdest looking group in the world at that time. And uh, Jack was like a really buttoned down guy, very straight. Every time Shep came and pitched it to him, when Shep left, he'd look at me and go, get rid of them. So they <laughs> sent me to New York to look at Vicki Medlin, the girl. And oh, by the way, Alice Cooper's playing in New York. Go see the band and get rid of them. So that was my job. After hair, uh, the lead, the, the male lead in here, Alan Nichols, a Canadian guy from Montreal, was a CBC baby like me. Um, he and I got together and we said, well, okay, we're going to go down to, the, to uh, Max's to, to see uh, Alice Cooper play. And we asked people, how, to, how do you find it? And they said, well, you get off at Houston and follow the laser beam, like literally. And we were, okay, you know, when you're 20 years old, that's direction enough. So we got off the subway. We surfaced to the street. Sure enough, there's laser beams going down the road and turning the corners. We followed the laser beams, and they lead you right into the door of Max's Kansas City, which is like entering a Hieronymus Bosch painting. It's just, there's the place is filled with people with jet black hair and spider eyes and black fingernails wearing spandex and, and black lipsticks. And they have a, a table for us right at the front of the stage. We sit at the table and... The lights go down, and the first thing I see when the lights come up slightly is Alice Cooper with a hammer in his hand, three feet away from my face. Oh, man. Just about to hit me in the head. Well, he doesn't hit me in the head. He hits the stage, and the show goes on from there. It's filled with uh, theatrics and props and great lighting, crazy stuff. They, they destroy their instruments. They spread feather pillows all, feathers all over the, the club from pillows. And, uh, and it's just the most dynamic and kinetic thing. And there's actually even great songs. But when it's over, uh, Alan Nichols and I looked at each other. Our jaws were on the table. And I go, what was that? And he said, I, I don't know, but I think I liked it. And I said, well, I loved it. And I went bounding up the stairs to the dressing room and opened the door. And I just walked in and went, we'll do it. <laughs> we will do it. You guys can make hit records, says the 20-year-old who's never made a record in his life. And they go, well, that's good. We think you guys can too. And I go, great. We got a deal. That's it. And then I walked outside of the club, and and suddenly it hit me that I was so fired. <laughs> so I went back to my hotel room, and and I didn't sleep a wink. I had waited until the morning to call Alan McMillan, Jack's partner, and tell him what I'd done. And all Alan could say was, 
get your ass on a plane and get home now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I came into, I came bounding into the door in Nimbus, and I was just like, I came in talking, because that's my defense, and I'm going to Jack, you don't understand. This was not rock and roll. This, there were no t-shirts. There were no jeans. There were some lights and sex and props and things, and everybody had spider eyes. They had Spanish. They knew all the words. There were fantastic songs and blah, 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 and I just kept going on. I said, this is not, this isn't normal. This is the beginning of a cultural movement. And Jack finally said, oh, enough already. If you like it so much, then you do it. And that was the beginning of my career. Was that Love It to Death? That was Love It to Death, yeah. First thing was that they sent me to Detroit to work with the band. And uh, and that was an experience. You don't have enough time on the air for that story. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Well, fair uh, enough. But I, was, I did all the rehearsals with the band before going into the studio because that's where I was comfortable. I, I, I knew how to, like play music and arrange music and that sort of stuff. And so I went in to do that, and everybody kept saying, where's Jack? And I kept saying, he's coming, he's coming. And, uh, and of course, Jack never came, uh, but Jack was there when we got to the studio in Chicago, and uh, literally he sat on the couch and kicked me in the butt from behind and pushed me up to the console. And there I was, and I had to start producing, you know? I had the talk back. I was the one who had to say, okay, let's go. So... 47 years ago, I mean, and, and here you are still working with, with Alice Cooper. Are, are you and Alice at the point in your careers, like a, like a couple who can just finish each other's sentences? He, he knows what you're going to do. You know what he's going to do, and, and, and the process is, is pretty smooth. How, do, how does that work all these years later? Well, we are. Yeah, yes. The, the, the short answer is yes, except that I never know where Alice is going to go with the story because as he likes to say, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So I've heard things about myself that I did way back when that are so outrageous, you know, but they're complete, they're inventions. Alice has this fantastic inventive brain, you know, and I like his version of reality. It's far more colorful and, and you know, and I'm, it certainly makes me out to be a lot smarter than I really am. <laughs> but, um, you know, he is, he's like my brother from another mother. He is one of the, the smartest, quickest-witted, um, most articulate, and, uh, you know, and just plain, naturally brilliant people that I know. I love working with him. We laugh the whole day. Uh, we laugh or we're really excited about stuff, you know. And, and when you look at a, you know, a pair of old guys like us and we're, you know, bouncing around like kids, um, that's, that's a real gift. That's a blessing. Bob, you've, uh, you've had your hands on, on so many iconic albums and, and maybe iconic's not the right word. I life changing, awakening, uh, emotive albums that are, are so important to so many people out there. I think of how many teenagers had a, a rock and roll epiphany the first time they heard the wall and, and thought to themselves, yeah, that, this is what matters to me. I, I need to, I need to rock and roll. Do you remember your musical epiphany or that one record that when you heard it for the first time as a kid, you said, holy shit, I, I have to do this. This, this. this is the world I need to be a part of. Yeah, I would say the record that did that for me, uh, well, it was two records. It was Rubber Soul and Revolver, or three records. <laughs> Let me go back. I would say there are three records that did that for me. It would be Rubber Soul, Revolver, and Pet Sound. Because up until then, I, you would listen to the radio and there were great songs, like magnificent songs that you could sing along with. Every once in a while, there was a song you could dive into and live in for a while. One of those was the Ode to Billy Joe. I think that had a lot to do with it as well, that, that single. 
Um, but Revolver uh, and, uh, and Rubber Soul and Pet Sounds, they were whole albums you would dive into. And, and they would, in a way, take you on a journey to some other place. You know, in the Beatles' case, it took me to England. You just felt like you were there. And, um, and with the Beach Boys, it takes you to the coast of California, and you feel like you're... You know, anyway, so, it, you know, for me, music became a magic carpet. And, and, and a wonderful place to hide. I could hide inside uh, these musical experiences, and then I could play dress-up in my head. You know, I could be any of the characters they were talking about. I could be in the band in my head. So, so the, this was, for me, these were life-changing experiences. When it came time for me to be able to make music, I wanted to do stuff that did that, that created atmospheres that felt like places that, were uh, pieces of music where people could lose themselves and um, places they could dive into where they could play dress up to. When we think of the uh, the albums that uh, that move us the most, uh, lifelong bonds made with these records, and in some cases we have greater emotional connections with, with certain records than we do with some people in our lives. How much of a challenge is it for you as a producer to recognize the potential of a song in its rawest form and, and to mold that into something that is going to resonate with the fan of that artist. Well, I don't know that that's a, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know that that's a conscious process, right? I think that, for, first of all, I have, yes, you're right, I have to be aware of the fans. I'm, we're not doing this for nothing. And I, I also have to be aware of who the buyer is for, for my services. Sometimes I get hired by a group. Sometimes I get hired by a label because they have a group that they think needs help. And I'm kind of working for the label to try and, and help the group to a to achieve a different goal or something. Um, but the process of like seeing what they have and helping them to make it better is purely nature for me. And because I see that I see for me, everything is poetry, everything, everything in life is poetry. The, the way the clouds move across the sky is poetry. The way I saw a guy cleaning the windows at LaGuardia Airport one time, and I, my flight got canceled. I was sitting on a chair, and I was miserable. And I looked out. This guy had two squeegees, one in each hand, and he did this dance with the windows and cleaned them so beautifully. I had to go out and say to him, you're an artist. And I scared the hell out of the guy. He goes, okay. Like, no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. You know, I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. You know, but... but so everything is poetry, and poetry is really the the barest necessary amount of communication to get a point across and to uh, e- evoke in others a reaction, an emotional reaction. Like, you don't need to make a, a beautiful flower better. If it's a beautiful flower, that's all it needs. You just need to leave it there and let people see it and smell it and discover it and they get the full value of it. So, you know, and this is true of, of music. It is true of lyrics, you know, that, that we want, we want to distill things down to their most powerful form. We want them to be the most touching. We want them to be the most um, inspiring. And particularly in, with lyrics, we want them to be the most thought-provoking. And then we dress it a little bit Hopefully not too much, although I know I'm often uh, guilty of overdoing it. But 
I can't help that. I'm expansive by nature, so it's just the way it goes. But but that's you know I see that in everything. And and you know if you and I want to sit down, you can write me a you know a short story, and I'll look at it from the same point of view that I look at a song. Long-winded answer. Well, no, I, it's a great answer though too, and and it validates um, my belief in myself that I'm not crazy because I. I uh, last week, the the wind picked up, and I watched a, a Tim Hortons cup dancing across the sidewalk, and and to me, it looked like it was doing a tango. And I said that to my wife, and she said, "Like, what are you on? Like, it's it's garbage blowing across the sidewalk." And I said, "No, it's more than right. that. Look at it." Well, that's it. It is more than that, and everything is more than that. If we learn how to open our eyes and open our hearts and see the world, lose the filters, right? Lose the cynicism, lose the, you know, okay, I didn't sleep so much last night, I'm grouchy, lose the worries about, you know, job and the next meal if you're just there in the moment. And I don't mean to sound like Eckhart Tolle or anything like that. I'm just saying, if you're there and something happens and you give it your full attention, you will see that everything in its way is poetry. And and everything is, uh, there's art in everything. So, but then you go back and you look, so, you know, this is a double-edged sword, because then you can go back and you play a song you just wrote, and you go, man, am I great! What a great song! Uh, you know, and you get yourself into it and everything. That's where you need someone like me to go, look, you know, you had me for the first four bars, and then it, then the coffee cup went into the trash can. <laughs> you know, the co- <laughs> coffee cup danced itself into the trash. You lost me. This is, you know, this was poetry. This is just artifice. This is not real. So but, let's get rid of the not real. Let's stick with the real. You know, the stuff that really matters, that really says something, that's musically really strong and, and, and evokes a reaction. Um, and let's make that the standard for the rest of the song. Knowing, knowing what you do today, uh, the, like the decades of experience that you have, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you could go back in your career and, and remix one record that you produced and oh, come crap. at it from it. Hey, I'd remix every single one of them. If I could. Would you? Okay. It was, it was so much fun to remix Destroyer. I can't tell you. It was just like, it was like opening up the candy store for me and, and to rediscover the things that we did, not just to see the finished product, but to look at the process. You could really follow the process by looking at each of the tracks. Uh, it was very exciting and, and uh, nostalgic, yeah, sort of, but more importantly, it was kind of a snapshot of my development and and the boys' development, the guys in KISS. It was our development at that moment in time. Brilliant. Wonderful. The one that I would most like to remix would be uh, Peter Gabe Purcell, and that's because I think there's too much reverb. <laughs> that was, was that the go-to uh, process on it? Was re- I, I had fallen in love with, we had a beautiful sounding chamber at my studio, you know, and, which is such a beautiful chamber that I totally fell in love with it. And I was, you know, it's like when you go, you, you go to a party with your girlfriend, but there's this, you know, babe at the other end of the room and she distracts you and gets all your attention. But when you get home, you realize you really should have paid attention to your girlfriend. So, and I, you know, I got distracted by this beautiful sounding uh, echo chamber, and and now when I listen, I, it makes me cringe a little bit that there's so much of it. I would like to be able to dial that back a little bit, but the rest of it sounds amazing. 
Bob Ezrin, a, a pleasure to talk to you. I, I, like I say, I could do this all day, and I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, continuing the conversation in front of this audience on the 8th on that, on that producer's panel, and I, I really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. This was fun. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks so much for doing this. Okay, buddy. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.